The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So it's really nice to be here. Um, I got the call at about 4.45 this afternoon, so <laughs> here I am, trying to think about what might be useful to talk about on such short notice. So what I think I would like to do tonight, just to sort of frame it, is talk about um, how we go about cultivating beautiful qualities like kindness and compassion in our lives. Um, And we can think about those things in terms of um, heart qualities that uh, are just there, natural, and um, ask ourselves the question, can something like that actually be cultivated? And so in, in this particular path of practice, the ways that we cultivate these spiritual qualities are um, essentially through a, a threefold sort of method that the uh, Buddha laid out for us 25 hundred years ago. And um, these, this threefold method, so to speak, is um, based first on the cultivation of uh, the spiritual perfection of dana, or generosity. So in, in, for the purposes of training, what, what's meant by generosity here is the generosity of heart, the kindness that is brought forth when we tap into this quality of generosity within ourselves. Um, Along with the cultivation of of sila comes the cultivation of integrity, or or sila is is the Pali word for it. And it's sometimes referred to as virtue, um, which is a fine word, but in our modern culture, um, I I like to use the word integrity. It sort of resonates for more people. It certainly resonates um, more easily for for myself. It's learning how to be in integrity with our actual experience, with what's happening in our lives, and how to be in integrity with ourselves and within relationship, because the qualities, to develop qualities of kindness and compassion, it's all about being in relationship, either with ourselves or with one another or in community and in our jobs, our our families, etc., etc. So we, we begin the practice with the cultivation of dana and sila, or generosity and integrity. And why do we do this? Um, The Buddha knew a thing or two, and um, he he suggested that this is how we begin the practice because it helps to free the mind from uh, the kinds of distractions and uh, obscurations 
that just fill our minds when these qualities aren't present, when we're not in integrity with ourselves, when we're, we're being um, selfish and we feel separated and disconnected from other beings, other people, our families, our communities, our world, our planet. We see what we're doing to the planet um, all over the world. It's not just in the Western world. So we cultivate these two qualities first to help to sort of create conditions in which the mind can begin to settle down. And that brings us to this next uh, uh, aspect, which is the development of samadhi or the development of meditation. So when we begin this practice, um, there's, you know, there's all sorts of methods that were given and teachings that were given, and they're all wonderful methods, and they all work in certain situations. But to basically cut to the chase, what we are learning to do is begin to settle the mind, quiet the mind down enough so that we can begin to experience directly some sort of... uh, Uh, so that we can begin to experience or touch uh, a quality of calmness and um, peacefulness, tranquility. And it's not to get so focused in that we go off into la-la land. That can happen sometimes, and I don't want to make light of it to say that a a deep experience of of, uh, meditative concentration is la-la land. But... The point isn't to attain or achieve particular states of mind. The point is to settle the mind, to quiet the mind, to be able to be comfortable in the skin, so to speak, of our own minds, of our own experiences. So there's different ways that are taught to cultivate meditation, and um, uh, some some teachers will teach a, a, a very sort of focused methodology that will allow you to settle down, sort of on a single object, um, as 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 the the course of of practice. Other teachers will teach a kind of uh, mindfulness practice, a vipassana practice, which in its own way develops this same sort of samadhi. It, through following what's arising and passing away from moment to moment to moment to moment, the continuity of being able to do that, we begin to get concentrated. We begin to settle down. And samadhi isn't the same thing as concentration. Here in the West, this is the English translation for the word samadhi, but it's, that's not what samadhi means. Uh, concentration is, in the West, it's like we focus our mind in on an object, like a math problem, to try to figure it out. And so there's a kind of effort that's associated with the, just the word concentration brings up effort and stress in a lot of people. Samadhi is open. It's 
receptive, it's spacious, and it receives. But um, it comes in this place of quieting the mind down. So there's this, this, this aspect of the path, which is, to, which is supported by the development of sila and dana. Um, so dana and sila support samadhi, and samadhi in turn leads to what is called in, in Pali, panya, or wisdom, liberating insight. And so when the mind settles down enough to see things as they really are, as you're actually experiencing them, we begin to have insights into what's actually going on within our minds and therefore in our lives as we're experiencing them. Does this make sense? Yes. So, So... With that in mind, we have to accept that um, this is really a practice. And we come to meditation, and we have all sorts of ideas. We want things to be nice. (laughs) We We want to have all these insights, and we want them fast. We're Westerners. We want things quickly. But it really, for most people, it doesn't happen that way. And it is a practice. And so we begin to accept that, it, that this comes sort of gradually, but it can come if we make the effort. It can come if we try and we actually um, open up to the possibility that we can not only find more happiness in our lives, but we can actually come to the end of suffering. We can actually penetrate into what is going on, what is the core of suffering, and then how to be with it, which is coming back full circle to the cultivation of kindness and compassion and how those things work in our lives. So... um, Jim, would you be good enough to give me the lectern? Because I, I want to... Thank you. I make notes, but I never follow them, so I'm going to see what I can do. So that was the setup. <laughs> and... Um, And so how is it that we can cultivate this practice and stick with it long enough that we can begin to see results in our own lives? Because if you do stick with it, like Jim and I have been practicing together for many years, and I can speak for, I think I can speak for both of us, that when we met each other, we were different people than we are today. And this is because the practice has taken root in our lives. And it really, it's not that we are special or we think of ourselves as special. It's that we're, I actually express this from a place of gratitude 
It's not that I didn't like myself before, but life is so much better now than, <laughs> than it was before. So, um, how do we open the heart, is the question. Because the qualities of kindness and compassion arise out of the heart. So, um, I, I want to also break this down into sort of three ways of understanding experience. So the first way is through the body. So we're taught mindfulness of the body. So the first thing is the body. The second is what I'm going to call the heart-mind. So uh, the Pali word for it is citta. And so it's mindfulness of mind. And this quality of heart and mind is where awareness resides, so to speak. And, and we touch into this place um, in a direct way. There's no, it doesn't speak to us in the language of, in English or French or any other language. It speaks to us um, in a kind of a heart language, which is a direct knowing. So one might say that in this place of the heart, what happens is that we are connecting with our experience through impressions and feelings. Um, so let's just say that um, a thought comes up in the mind, and and then suddenly there's this there's this knowing which is immediately followed by some sensation or feeling in the body. And so, and so we don't necessarily know what that is right away, but we recognize that we know that experience. So something happens and fear comes up, and then it registers in the body in a certain way. And before we know it's even fear, we're responding to it because we know it. It's the impression, the feeling that comes in the heart-mind. It could be joy, it could be happiness, it could be love, it could be whatever. But the heart-mind is where this resides. And then there's the discerning mind that verbalizes and that can actually point to that which is being experienced. This is a little bit more subtle and, and nuanced, but it's really important to understand because in order to begin to cultivate meditation, we have to begin to be able to see what's really going on. And, we, and for most of us, what happens is that we'll have moments of lucidity or clarity that are almost immediately interrupted by a conversation that we had at work today or... Uh, what we're going to do on the weekend or whatever, we're pulled out of it and we're planning, we're fantasizing, we're remembering and then there's a moment where we're just with what is. So um, let me try to give you an example. You, you might um, 
most people can relate to taking a walk in nature. You see, and um, and it's you know early morning, and it's still cool, and the sun is is shining nicely. It's not hot, and it's really quiet. You're out someplace where it's really, really quiet. And you can, you can almost, I can almost right now feel the stillness of that experience. You see, it's really quiet. And then for a moment, your mind just lets go. And there's a direct connection with the beauty of what's being witnessed. And it's not like we're thinking of it in terms of object and subject. We're, we're connected with it. For a moment, we're connected. And so it's, it renews us. This, the mind lets go. We don't let go. The mind lets go because the conditions are right. You see? The conditions have been created where the mind can let go. The mind needs to relax and let go. We think we have to do, do, do. You see, we have to fix, fix, fix. That we can't do that. We just can't do that. That's not the way that it works. Somehow or another, <laughs> we learn that the hard way. But when the mind lets go, there's this sense of unification with something in a very direct way. So you might be experiencing beauty or you might be experiencing profound stillness and peace, or you just might get this rush of, of love and appreciation for just being alive. So it's something like that. This is how the heart speaks to us. I'm, just, I'm offering that as an example of the way that one begins to, to know how to connect um, in, that, in that place of heart-mind. So the body is also our friend. We, th- we think that, that, um, that uh, the things that we f- are experiencing, the feelings and the sensations that we're experiencing in the body, are somehow signals of dangers. We should like, make sure that we get as far away from them as possible, or that we aggressively push against them, that we resist these things unless they're very pleasant and then they're only pleasant for a while because because then we start thinking oh we want more of this pleasantness there's more and more and more and all of a sudden it gets ruined or you know how much ice cream can you eat before you think enough I can't have another spoonful So, so, so even the things that we like sort of have built into them the limitations as long as we're just going for more, more, more. So, so that also registers in the body in a certain way. So we begin to see how, how these sensations and feelings are showing up in our body. And we begin, because we're cultivating our minds, we begin to see how we t- 
turn away from these things or resist them or push push up against them. You see? And so and so this is the practice. We just begin to notice that. We begin to notice how we're doing that and and we begin to to actually reflect on whether that's useful or not. Does this help us? Does this does this make us happy? Does this actually fulfill us? See? It does for a while sometimes, but it doesn't last for very long. And something within this heart-mind, within each of us, wants to be happy, wants to be safe, wants to find a place of security and happiness. So even when people act unskillfully, outright mean, malicious, manipulative, there's underneath all of that is the belief that that behavior is somehow going to lead to some place of safety and happiness for them. See, I'm sneaking compassion in here. (laughs) So we want to be Come familiar with how to use the body as a way of practice. So we want to begin to notice that um, what we're feeling in the heart is actually registering in the body. And it's counterintuitive, but when something registers in the body, is felt in the body as a danger or a disappointment or a loss or a sadness or profound grief. Um, You know, our wish is to not feel that way. We don't really want to feel that. But it's through turning towards the actual felt experience and being able to witness it directly and stay with it and not deny it and not turn away from it and bury our heads in the sand, that we can release it. Otherwise, it gets stuck. There's no place for it to go. It just gets buried. So, and then what happens is we start cultivating the habit of responding through resistance and denial until we just are this knot of stress you see, or it it shows up as outbursts of anger, or you know we're just careless and we run into somebody in front of us, and you know it shows up in little ways or it can show up in big ways. So we begin to recognize that the body is showing us things that are going on in our minds. The body and mind are not separate, they're connected, and they work together. And so if we're able to begin to just turn and be with our experience just for a little while, it doesn't have to be like you're some sort of a masochist and you're just turning and trying to be macho about it. It's that you just begin to acknowledge that this is what's real for you. This is what's happening in the moment. So I'm, I'm going to make this sort of 
we're all meditators, right? And so I, uh, we would try to uh, meditate on the breath, for instance, and then the mind wanders off the breath. And then the instruction is just come back to the breath in a non-judgmental way. So we try to come back to the breath in a non-judgmental way, and the mind wanders off again. And this happens repeatedly. And so there's something that registers in the body when this is going on. And as important as it is to return to the breath for the purposes of developing some sort of discipline to quiet the mind down. It's also important to know how we return to the breath. Wandered off. Oh, go back to the breath. Wandered off again. Oh, go back to the breath. Wandered off again? I'm never going to get this. I'll never be able to do this. You know, I'm a bad person. I'm this, I'm that. And so it's important for us to be able to, instead of running away from the bad feelings in the body, is like turn to those feelings and let those feelings tell us what's really happening. What's really happening is that judgment has come up. We're, We're actually judging our our inability is what we're calling it in quotes to ourselves to stay with the breath but there's also something else that's happening there and that's doubt doubt is underneath this judgment and doubt is one of the classic hindrances that the Buddha pointed to in meditation so in order for the mind to settle into samadhi doubt has to be removed So if we run away from the bad feelings that come up when the mind wanders and we're trying to bring it back and just be, you know, train it, train our minds, we're never going to know what's really going on. So we begin to befriend our bodies and use our bodies in this way, which is very skillful, you see. But we have to be able to stay with the feeling and and begin to identify, okay, this is judgment, and this is doubt, and this is, you know, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, until we actually get to what it is. You see, because when we get to what it is, suddenly the boogeyman in the body isn't a boogeyman. We know it's doubt. That's it. That's all it is, is doubt. And doubt is not a thing. Doubt is a process like every other mental and physical phenomena. We experience the process of things arising and passing away, arising and passing away, arising and passing away. And so when we can see that this tightness in our body, this contentiousness that happens when we can't stick with the breath for very long, is actually a gift that's showing us what's going on. But we have cultivated this habit of resistance. I'm speaking broadly here, because many people in this room probably (laughs) can stay with their breath for a while. But 
this is how we cultivate the habits that disconnect us from what's really going on. This is how we begin to cultivate habits that will free us from those sort of traps that we fall into and that we hold on to and that we cling to that will begin to liberate us. So... So I want to say another one or two things about the body. When strong emotions are triggered in the body and they show up as sensations or feelings or tight muscles or whatever, a tight jaw or whatever, you know, it's it's good to just try to ground yourself in the body and allow this feeling that has come up to to be there and but allow your awareness to move through the body all the way out to your extremities to your hands and your feet it's a way that you can sort of ground your your awareness your consciousness in the body so that you don't immediately bolt. And um, it's a way to stay with the feeling long enough to, so that the discerning mind can point and say, doubt, judgment, aversion, desire, whatever it is that's really coming up, fear, Grief, you see. Otherwise, these things get locked in us in a way. It's kind of like traumas that we carry, not just in our physical bodies, but in our sort of energetic bodies. Because you can sort of, as you're grounding yourself in the body, you can almost expand, you can almost expand your awareness to, to sort of a, a larger sort of body, a sort of an energetic body that we... Live in, and this helps us to connect with our heart and our mind as well. So, for some of us, uh, no doubt you practice uh, qigong. It's kind of an energy practice where you feel the energy. And I don't—I'm not a qigong practitioner, so I can't talk about it in any way that's very articulate. But I—it's that quality of expanding your your awareness to include a space that's um, like an energetic body. It's a, it goes beyond the physical body. But you can actually feel the form of, the, of your physical body. You can feel it. You know, each of us know what it's like. We're each familiar with what it's like to be in the particular bodies that we're in. We sort of recognize, we know this. There's a knowing of this, but where are we in this body? You know, <laughs> so I don't want to necessarily go there. I just want us to, to see how we can use the body in this way. And then the mind, the discerning, the third 
quality here. So there's the body, there's heart, mind, and then there's the discerning mind that verbalizes. That we can also use to support our development of, of these, of the recognition of, of what's actually happening for us or to, or to brighten our mindfulness. And that can then be what actually points to the experience and, and lets us know, okay, this is judgment, this is that, this is the next thing, and so on and so forth. So, but it can also be that experience of mind that gets interrupted. So something is triggered, a thought comes up, this is actually, this can be, is, is being studied in, in research laboratories today, where the brain will send um, a, a thought up, an impulse up, and um, it registers in the prefrontal cortex where it's known, and then it would sort of loop back into the, I think it's the limbic brain, and this is a normal way, but it can get interrupted. And then what happens is we, we have this feeling of fear come up, right? We clamp down on it. We resist it because we haven't really identified it as fear. And then this discerning mind, instead of discerning, the loop gets broken. It gets interrupted. And the next thing we know, it's, oh, my God. The world's falling apart. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my house. All my friends are going to hate me. My wife is going to leave me. My dog is going to get sick, etc., etc. And we spin off into this proliferation. You see? I, I get a pain in my knee or in my back, and I think, oh, my God, I've got this, and this, I'm going to have to go to the hospital, and it's going to cost me a lot of money, and it's going to be a month or two of recovery, and it's all made up. It's just what the mind does. And so if we can meet our experience in this more direct way, we can learn to, to keep the flow of impulses flowing in a more natural and healthy way. So I have, um, I had forgotten that this is only a 45-minute talk. Instead, I'm used to doing an hour talk. So, so um, I want to say that all of this that I've laid out for you can sound really wordy and um, a little bit complicated, but it's not, it, it's not meant to be that way. And if I've, if I've confused any of you, I apologize for that. I hope that I haven't. But <clears throat> I want you to know that this is the language of the heart and the mind that we're beginning to cultivate. This is the way that we become familiar with what's really going on so that we can 
not be in control, not fix it, and not do all the things that we think we have to do and that we try to do, but simply to, re- to, to let the mind let go, to, me- to get to that place where the mind can let go, and then we're just connected in a direct way with the stillness or the beauty or the love, the, 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 just the joy of being friends with someone. You see? And what happens is the heart then, the natural response from the heart is kindness and compassion. We don't cultivate kindness and compassion through A, B, C, D, E, and work, 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 and muscle through it. You see? We simply create the conditions for the heart to open, and when the causes are are there, the heart will respond. So kindness is like the quality of metta. Metta is, is loving kindness. And this quality comes from true connection when you really care for someone's welfare. When you really, it's, it's not just the repetition of phrases, may you be well, may you be happy, may you be this and may you be that. Although that adds, it reinforces and supports this. But it's this quality where the heart is in direct connection and wishing someone else genuine friendliness and, and care. And, and then compassion is the ability to be with things as they actually are. Even when we're judging ourselves harshly because we can't stay with the breath and we're full of doubt and we can't, even though we see it's doubt, we can't make the doubt go away. That's all there is to it. I'm overcome by doubt right now. So what is, what is that all about? What good is this meditation business? Compassion can hold that. It can hold the reality of that without needing it to be different. That's true compassion. That's real strength, you see? The strength to be with things as they actually are is compassion. All of this leads to compassion. So compassion can be known through a heart that's, that sort of quivers with concern and care for, we see a child fall down and scrape their knee and they're frightened and crying. And, you know, we just naturally respond. So there's that kind of, of compassion. But can, compassion can also be just the fierceness to just stay right with that fear that we're feeling in our body and not turn away from it, you see? And this compassion isn't something that we just give to other people. We really have to learn how to recognize it within ourselves and allow this to arise for ourselves. Because if we can't take care of ourselves, we really can't take care of other people all that well either. We're still, we've still got things that we, we have filters that we're putting between us and, the, and what the other person might be actually troubled by. And so in the way that metta resonates in the heart, as this feeling of friendliness and kindness towards other people, karuna, or compassion, 
resonates in the same way. The heart knows this feeling of actually witnessing suffering within ourselves or within others, and the classic definition, and that it's imbued with this quality of wanting to alleviate or mitigate the suffering for other people. So it's bearing witness to the truth of other people's experience exactly as it is, not with this idea that you can fix it, that you're responsible to fix it for them or even for yourself, you see, but to just be with the truth of what is. That's, that gives you strength, and, and if you're with someone else in that way, it actually gives them strength. It supports them. It helps them to be with whatever is actually up for them. So I wanted to leave time for a discussion and questions, but we have um, reached, reached the end of, of, of our evening here together, and I'm told that I have to end right at 9 o'clock. <laughs> so uh, those are my thoughts and reflections for this evening, and I want to thank all of you for your kind attention and for allowing me to talk when you came to hear Paul. (laughs) So I hope I did him well. So thank you. you.